I got to be real with you. If you're in the mafia and you're listening to this, I have some advice for you. But if you take it, you can't do it to us. Can I give it to them, Liz? Before you say that, I would say hello and thank you for subscribing to our Patreon. Buongiorno. Yes. My female companion is arm in arm with me on this. Almost as if she was my companion. You know what I'm saying. Okay. I will say this. If you're in the mafia and listen to this, I have a great business opportunity for you. You know podcasts? Mm. You know, Patreon, all that kind of bullshit, right? Mm. Check this out. You just go to these guys' houses and be like, you give me like 10% and I won't fucking kill you. And they're going to say yes. Wait, you're saying we should do that? No, 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 no. We shouldn't. I mean, we could do that. But I'm saying if you're in the mafia, I also get 1% of that because I gave you the idea. But my whole thing with this, Liz, is with extortion, this is the Brace Belden rule of extortion. You want to extort someone for a really low amount so that it's more of a hassle to report it to the police than it is to just pay them. Mm. Like you want to basically make it so that getting a lawyer or like getting police involved would cost technically cost more than just paying off the extortion. This is also like my other idea where you should kidnap someone for $50. And if they, cause people will just pay, like if someone kidnap, like, you know, I think the cost benefit on that, you got to kind of weigh, I mean, it's going to cost you more than $50 to kidnap someone. No, but like, I'm like kid, well, like your neighbor or something, right? Like if someone like called me, and was no, like, it's not I like ha- proximity. That's the cost on that. What's the cost then gas. Yeah. I thought you make a gas and stuff. Oh my god! Because if someone called me and was like, "I have Liz. It's fifty dollars to release her," I'd be like, "Well, I'll just pay that. I mean, it's not like I call the police or anything. It'll take way longer." Okay, so, if someone calls you and I'm kidnapped, will you please call the police? I don't care what the amount. Well, that if they it's offer, fifty dollars, I'm just gonna pay the fifty dollars, dude. Just call the police. But I'm not calling the police ever. First of all, a cab. So if anyone ever calls me and is like, "I have Liz," and I'm going to murder her, I'll be like, I'll give you whatever you want as long as it's under Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. My name, of course, you know me, you love me, Meatball. And of course, we are joined by producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called True Anon. Hello. I thought you were going to call him like Young Spaghetti. And I Young got Spaghetti? No. I'm, let me call him. What yeah. can I call him? Rigatoni. Uh, Rigatoni. He's the Pope. He's the young Pope. He's the young Pope. He's a baby Pope. Did you Baby ever watch pope. Young Pope? Fuck. What are, what circumstances would I watch The Young Pope, Liz? I watched it. Yeah. You and I are different people. It I'm was a COVID. Guy. That's why. He is hot, right? He's like no, a hot pope. He's, well, no, he's Young Pope. Yeah. But like, isn't he? I mean, he's like a young actor. No, it was all very stylish. It was very weird. I don't really well, understand it. I will say this. Much, I, I feel like, I mean, this is, as if you can't tell, a little Italian episode. I feel like damn Italy 2020 because I'm still sick. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, I got this fucking, listen to me. It's awful. Yeah. Um, we're back. We're back in the mafia, Liz. We are back. And we've got part two of our 
Mafia 101 episode with Matt from Ghost Stories for the End of the World right now. You know, around these parts at Truanon, we're like one big family, right? <laughs> the That's true how fam. I think of us. The true fam. It's true, Brace. You're always referring to Truanon as a family, right? It I am. I am. And well, as actually, you, of you course, keep saying the family. Yeah. Well, you call it the clan, Liz. Well, and with a C. Yeah, yeah, to be yeah. Clear. With, with three well, several C's, um, <laughs> unfortunately. I which I don't think doesn't even make sense. But you know what? That actually led me to think, what other culture uses a bunch of C's and words and that make them hard to pronounce for me? And that would be the Italians. <laughs> and so we have brought in Britain's number <laughs> one Italy expert, Matt Schiparino, shrimp, the lemon, lemon juice, scallopini from Ghost Stories to the End of the World, and of course... Jimmy Seville's final footman. I was How you doing, if you're Matt? Welcome say to the it. show. Uh, he told me not to say it, so I figured I had to put it in. Yeah, These sessions have it. been a process of counting down and just anticipating it happening. Well, what, ta- what, ta- what town? What town do you live in? Just uh, Lee. I'm from Leeds originally, mm. which is his home city. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You ever been to the hospital there? Yeah, I, I used to work at the hospital, um, not at the you, same time as him. You did? You did? Oh, because I was going to yeah. say another guy also kind of worked at that hospital too. But <laughs> I but started say- working there about two years after he died. Uh-huh. Um, so I knew a lot of the people who formed the honor guard for his funeral, you know. Oh, when, shit. Which, wow. yeah, that, that's something you'll come to regret, I guess. So it's kind of like, you know, like. One would hope. Like, it's like Highlander, like he dies, but you take his place, sort of thing in the hospital. <laughs> I I don't know how to answer that. It's such yeah. an unexpected question. To um, no, totally. I don't mean I don't want to put you on the spot or anything here, but you know, it's just you know, it's kind of your. I think a good rule bad. of thumb for Britain is uh-huh. if any elderly male celebrity dies. Never be part of the honor guard. Yeah. <laughs> Give it like five years before yeah. you publish yeah. the obituary yeah. being like he was a hero. Yeah. yeah. Five to uh, six years and the BBC will come out with something. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I feel like in the case of Lord Mountbatten, he kind of got away with it still. Like people are like, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, it was just a little boy's home we had, you know, don't worry about that. Mm. I, it's a weird attitude here towards that entire subject. There's a lot of that that goes on, you know. Well, it happened years ago. What's it was harmless back then, you know. Exactly. I mean, with life expectancies and stuff, technically that, that in dog years, that kid was 40. Um, <laughs> but you know, I will say this uh, speaking of weird attitudes and islands such as Britain, there's another island that has some pretty weird attitudes, but that one is Sicily. Oh my god! And so we're heading back down to Sicily <laughs> really on a little. Good. That was really fucking good on our little steamer ship here, flying the tricolor flag of Italy, and uh, we're landing. But oh no, it's no longer the 1800s. In fact, time has progressed. The locomotive has been uh, put in many places, and we're chugging along. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's the 1920s. World War One is over. Lots of veterans, their swarthy chests. 
uh, wet with sweat and hairy with curly black hair are uh, going all around Italy being crazy. And unfortunately, it's 22, 1922, that is. And Mussolini has come to power. The great baboon himself rules over Italy with an iron fist and his many tall friends. Well, excuse me, his many friends who wear very tall boots, goth style, knee high. Uh, and it's the 20s, but, you know, us three down here, we're, of course, we're in Sicily. We're in the mafia. We're loving it. We got these big estates. We're wrestling cattle. We're extorting people. And all of a sudden, this big ball, well, he's not that big, but this, well, he's big, but he's more like wide big. A guy in Rome is like, hey, guys, you got some trouble coming your way. So let's talk about the 1920s and let's talk about the mafia because I feel like here's where things start to really change and really get moving. Uh, Famously, I think in the public perception, the idea is that Mussolini sort of destroyed the mafia. Yeah, you that know, is like a weird, um, popular mm-hmm. uh, conception of what happened. I mean, there's this idea. I don't know if that's just like pushed by insane reactionaries and just got gained like purchase in the kind of liberal mindset. But there's this idea that like Mussolini either clamped down or the mafia as it what like kind of ceased to exist under mm. the fascist regime. Yeah. That's not really the case. Mm-mm. No. It, I would say it went into hibernation out of necessity, mm-hmm. but the the crackdown, the war on the mafia that Mussolini is kind of you know, trumpeted as having instigated, really targeted a lot of lower-ranking mobsters. It did take out some bosses, but you know, if he'd have done that good a job of it, then we wouldn't be recording these episodes more than likely right now. So, mm. yeah. Um, there's an interesting kind of byproduct of the the persecution, I suppose, the, the crackdown in Sicily in the south, which is it led to an increase of mobsters moving across to America. And obviously in the 20s, prohibition had come in. So this infusion of like capital from bootlegging and all these new criminals arriving kind of turbocharged what would become the national crime syndicate you know um but in sicily yeah it was more it went into hibernation than anything else and the way that mussolini fought the war against the mafia using i think his prefects was called cesare mori yeah he was the you know the the shock trooper kind of thing mm-hmm. the way they fought that war was completely in line with every other crackdown on the mafia that the state has implemented, which is, yeah, indiscriminate carnage, you know? And Mm. one of the more famous or notorious incidents from that period is the siege of Ganji, which was this little mafia-infested town where the troops went in there, killed livestock, burned down houses, um, beat up any able-bodied man they found and imprisoned them, raped women, horrifying shit you know um so yeah war on the mafia kind of overrated i would say yeah i mean famously too vito genovese also you know kind of actually i believe went to rome right and was hanging around with of course friend of the pod chiato baby you know him you love him we've mentioned him in many different contexts uh you know the man with the balls enough to fuck Mussolini's daughter <laughs> and then later get shot by Mussolini 
So Genovese is fucking, he's selling, he's selling fucking booze. He's selling fucking speed to Chiano. Chiano is using both of those in his endless quest to make love to Mussolini's daughter. Um, it also, Vito Genovese, this is, had an Italian anarchist named Carlo Tresca killed in New York, sort of as a gift. It's like a mob style, a literal mafia hit in service of Mussolini against an anarchist uh, here in sunny and warm New York City. And so it was like there was this certain level of like basically state-sanctioned mobsters there. Mm-hmm. That yeah. like these people who made this kind of like peace with the state and were able to really consi- co- to continue rather this parasitical relationship just in a slightly different form. Um, and one can't help but believe that a lot of these mafia guys knew like well, this is like we can withstand this, right? Yeah. Like this is temporary, and eventually things will go back to normal, and we will sort of continue on in the way that we've been we've been having it for the past, you know, eighty years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they call them fascist mafiosi, and these are the bosses who decided to kind of accept the state of things for mm-hmm. you know on a temporary basis because I think they sense that this is just untenable. Eventually, mm-hmm. yeah, fascism will fall, collapse. And right they were. Uh, Mussolini, uh, who spent most of World War II making strange movements with his head from side to side. And I got to say, to put a point on that, people always talk about how Hitler was this hypnotic speaker. I'm sorry. Hitler looks like he's having like a stroke every time he's given a speech. Mussolini is literally just going, he's just, I mean, obviously this is a podcast, so you can't see me here. But he's just sort of thrusting his head from side to side and kind of doing like, I would say he's almost like a thick Mick Jagger in the way that he sort of moves in this chicken-like way. He also wasn't the most, I don't know, a lot of his, uh, not the smartest guy. No, no. Not the sharpest tool in the tool shed or whatever. Not not exactly an intellectual. And, you know, I will say, I, I told I told Liz and Chomsky this the other week, but uh actually went and had uh, some spaghetti and meatballs the other night uh, in in Brooklyn, and uh, there was a picture of Mussolini hanging behind the bar of the place I was at. What mm. the fuck? <laughs> Bizarre. Actually, the last time I was in Rome, I passed uh-huh. this liquor store, and I did a double take because they had, like, brandy and whiskey and stuff in the window. And there were pictures of like Mussolini and fucking Hitler and shit on the labels. Really? Yeah. And I, it was quite a few years ago now, so I can't remember what the brand was, but I was like, they, they're just doing this? This is a thing that we have? Like, oh, no, 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 no. The, the Hitler brandy's for the guests. Like, don't, we, can, we shouldn't be drinking that right <laughs> it's, now. It's just an in-joke. It's fine. It's, it's um, just... But, you know, Mussolini, of course, uh, did not exactly you know, what was it called? The Pact of Steel between uh, Italy and Germany. I got to be real with you. Mussolini really fucked that whole thing up. Mm -hmm. He gets jealous because Hitler's, you know, this is a classic relationship thing. Hitler's keeping secrets. He's making all these plans to invade places, not really telling Mussolini. And so Mussolini is like, well, okay, whatever. You're going to invade France and stuff. Like I'll invade Greece and Greece, which has an army of 40 guys, he fucks that up so bad that Greece actually starts taking territory from Italy that they yeah. had conquered on their way to Greece, uh, forcing Germany to divert troops to Greece and use them as occupation. A Just, total uh, boondoggle. 
a fucking boondoggle. I got to tell you, thank God for Mussolini because he fucked that whole World War thing two, two thing up so bad that Hitler really just got his shit pushed in. Uh, and of course, you know, it's 1943, right? You know, we're here in the war room, Washington, D.C., as Liz would say. Washington, D.C. There we go. And we're going to invade Europe. And where are we going to go but the most beautiful place on the Mediterranean? The Allies are going to invade Sicily. Mm. And Operation Husky, as it was called. Exactly. Due to the large nature of many of the island's (laughs) inhabitants from their pasta-based diets. And... So what's going on here? We're trying to we're trying to we're trying to get into Italy, but we're like, we you know what? None of us speak Italian. We need to maybe get some guys who do speak Italian, and at the same time, we need to solve our problems on the New York and New Jersey waterfronts. <laughs> yeah, this is this whole period has driven a lot of people uh, bananas because I, have you ever read the Yankee and Cowboy War? By, yes, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah so. In that, is it Carl Oglesby or Oglesby? Can you settle this for me? Oglesby. Oglesby, uh, Oglesby right. So I'm Carl my, Oglesby. Sick, has, Oglesby, yeah. He, um, he has a pretty good account of the discussions that went on between uh, syndicate figureheads like Maya Lansky and Lucky Luciano um, and representatives of the U.S. government. Um, I'll just back up briefly. So Lucky Luciano... I think he got sent down in 1933 for pimping, what they called white slavery then. Mm-hmm. So he was in prison languishing. He relinquished control of most of his businesses to guys like Lansky. And so when this World War II thing kicks off, the mafia have in America, they have huge control of the waterfront docks in New York City, which obviously it, it goes back to this thing we were talking about how they insinuate themselves into crucial sectors of uh, society and the economy. Obviously, there's a war kicking off. Docks are pretty important when you're having a war. And according to Oglesby, in his telling of it, it was Maya Lansky who came up with the idea of a union between uh, U.S. intelligence and mafia on the initially on the waterfront to root out Nazi saboteurs and whatnot. Now, there's a lot of argument and controversy over the extent of this union between the two. Um, but Oglesby, I always remember that because Oglesby calls Maya Lansky an artist of the possible, which is, I've always liked that turn of phrase to describe what he saw here. That was um, that was when I worked at M plus one. That was sort of my position there. Yeah. Artist of the possible. Artist of the possible. Nice. Yeah, yeah. On the letterhead. I <laughs> um, so, yeah, you have certainly mafia involvement and assistance with certain aspects of the invasion of Sicily from the American side of things. Mm-hmm. On the Sicilian side of things, you have uh, near total cooperation from all the clans. So as these American GIs roll ac- across Sicily, the mafia kind of come out of hibernation and they're like holy shit you know our kingdom come this is incredible and they begin to assist uh, the allies you know in primarily as translators but also in helping them gather intelligence um and they basically come to perform the same function they've always performed which is to co-manage um the situation in sicily 
Well, because that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, Sicily, obviously, that's where we invaded Italy from. I mean, to, for those of you who are not up on World War II history, this is pre-D-Day. Like, these are the first, uh, what do you call it, allied landings in Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, the, when, when you take over an area like this, I mean, we're officially at war with Italy. I mean, think they surrender pretty shortly after and immediately switch sides, which of course is where the uh, story Captain Corelli's mandolin comes from. I've never uh, read or seen it, but I understand that it uh, has Nicholas Cage in it. And, um, you know, we need to occupy Sicily and then of course, eventually all of Italy. And who is a better, you know, partner than that, than the guys who have just been beating the shit out of peasants for all those years. Because as many people know, the Italians Fucking, I'll be real with you. You know, they may have been fascists. A lot of these guys in Italy, though, they loved communism, right? These guys were crazy Uh, about communism. Yeah, and to that point, the Allied occupation authorities had been given very, very strict instructions that communist influence was to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. So that meant, well, the mafia is a viable bulwark against that, you know. Um, there's a guy, Don Calagero Vizzini, who is said to have been the one that coordinated with Lucky Luciana. There's a very long, involved story about the dropping of a silk handkerchief to signal yeah. the invasion. I won't bother with that because it's debatable how true that story even is. But it was guys like him who consolidated their position by offering themselves as both assistance in the rebuilding and anti-communist uh, weapons of suppression, you know. And that is quite the way to start off basically this relationship, right? Because, I mean, obviously World War II ends 1945 and, you know, Italy is... It's a fucking it, mess. It's a fuck. It's not doing so great, right? It's baby? chaos. I mean, it's it's a fucking total, chaos. Yeah, it's a total oh. disaster zone and... There's basically a lot of opportunity has opened up for a lot of interested actors to come in and with their palm open or monkey paw, as it were, and, you know, offer up some goodies. And by that, I mean the Americans. And by that, I mean heroin. Yes. 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 Um, So Italy... You know, it's a motherfucking kingdom, right? They got one of the shortest kings in fucking Europe. I mean, I'm telling you, the king of Italy was like, I mean, grant relative to my height, fairly towering, but he's 5'1". No shit. Like, that's, who's respecting that? Nobody, right? little guy. So they're like, we need a taller form of government. And so they stopped being a kingdom in 47. And they're like, we're going to be one of the most dysfunctional republics this damn world has ever motherfucking seen. Hell yeah. And uh, they formed this republic in 47. And what's happening in 1947, you might be wondering on the world stage. Well, at this point, relationships between the allies, with the Soviet Union and uh, you know France, uh, England, America, et cetera, they're not doing so great. And so this is basically the Cold War is starting up here. And as any even cursory examination of the Cold War will tell you, The currency of this war, there's a few different currencies. You got blood, you got guns, but really, you got fucking heroin. Mm -hmm. And as a little preface to this, um, you know, France also, a lot of those guys in France, a lot of the resistance fighters in France and in Italy alike, 
loved communism a fucking ton. And uh, a big worry that the Americans in particular had was that communists would take over the docks. Um, there was a lot of communist, uh, obviously trade unions in all these countries, um, you know, there would be these communist trade unions that often had a very big influence and shipping, especially in terms of when you get the Marshall Plan being implemented, is very, 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 very important. And so in Marseille, where there are these big docks that a lot of fucking American shipping comes into and worldwide shipping comes into, this is in France, um, the, uh, the, the, the American intelligence agencies are worried that the uh, the communists will have undue influence, meaning any influence whatsoever, on the docks there. And so they collude with the local socialist party, French socialist party, and with these Corsican gangsters. Uh, Corsica is, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like Francis Sicily. It is. Um, I was just going to say yeah. that. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. Corsica, by the way, I'm going to say this, should be Italian. It, mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. You like that? Seems like a lovely place to go. Mm-hmm. No, it seems absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. Um, they're like, listen, guys, we need you to start killing these fucking communists. And so American intelligence uh, and French Socialist Party and French intelligence, obviously, collude with these uh, Corsican gangsters to basically do an on-the-waterfront to the docks in Marseille. And this sets us up for one of the, and listen, as a, as a dope fiend myself, one of the greatest heroin routes in human history. Yes. Gotta hand it to him, the motherfucking French connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've read Politics of Heroin. Um, yeah. Alfred McCoy has a really good account of how this deal was worked out. And initially, I mean... The Sicilian Mafia has always sold drugs, like for as yeah. long as drugs have been there to be sold. But the late 40s and then going into the 50s, this is when the Mafia begins to debate. It begins an internal debate, I suppose you could say. And the debate is, do how illegal do we want to be? And is it wise to become effectively a heroin cartel? You know? Yeah. Because if we become a heroin cartel, the profit, the profits from that drug are so astronomically far beyond what we've been making for the last, you know, 80 years. That is going to trigger massive trouble. Everything is going to fucking kick off at some point down the road. It, it just has to, you know, because these guys already have like limited impulse control. It's already kind of an, <laughs> yep. it's an untethered capitalist um, enterprise. You bring heroin into that and the money that there is to be made there and you're looking down the business end of a pretty lethal shotgun, you know. And so this is where in the 50s, the mafia in Sicily, the most American of the Sicilian families and the most Sicilian of the American families, host a series of meetings at the Hotel de Palms in Palermo. And the chief item on that agenda is heroin. Like, how deeply are we getting invested in it? And how serious are we about committing to this? Um, and there's all kinds of political considerations that they had as well, which we can get into. But they were pretty serious about doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I it, mean, it made sense from one point of view because the Sicilian clans and the Corsican mobs, they're not yeah. part of the same organization, but they have a lot of cultural and business connections. 
So it just made sense. Like, well, they're already involved in it. We're only a boat ride away from them. It just makes sense to also become partners on heroin like we are on any other enterprise that we're involved in, you know. Well, and the Sicilians at this point, too, were making pretty big inroads in the Middle East on Mm. sort of these heroin routes. So the way that the French connection worked is that the Sicilians would go over to Turkey, which is where a lot of the dope was coming from at the time. It has since shifted a few times to where it's grown, but the poppy's being grown there. You know, they'd bring this stuff over to, I mean, they get it to, to Sicily. I mean, obviously... Uh, something that we haven't mentioned before, but there's a lot of fishermen in Sicily, right? And a big thing is, is like these fishing boats would go out and, you know, sort of like bring from, you know, the water, either smuggled cigarettes or eventually heroin. They, or this was not heroin yet. It was still morphine base, still opium, because you actually have to make heroin in, a, in sort of a laboratory. So they would take this morphine base and they would bring that over to France where it was eventually made in laboratories by the Corsicans. Now, this eventually shifted, and the Sicilians themselves started building their own labs in Sicily after the French connection gets busted. Um, And then through the port of Marseille, it would be sent over to America and also distributed throughout Europe. And this was, as you said, hugely lucrative, but also I I I would agree with you too is that like, you know, we, the mafia is not this like completely like unified top-down force, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about this within the Cosa Nostra, within Camorra, within Andragona. You know, there's all these different families and clans, and when you start getting a ton of money in the equation, you know, as they famously say, more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. And this also, really, you can see the capacity for, um, you know. Uh, basically incestual violence really, uh, really ramps up as the heroin business, um, booms essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen up, you bums. That ends the free portion of the second episode of our, as of yet, a time of recording unnamed series on Cosa Nostra. (laughs) However, if you would like to hear the rest of this and all of the crazy shit that went on, the Matanza, all of the massacres, the slaughter, and eventually the partial defeat and retreat, don't want to give the game away too much, of Cosa Nostra, sign up on patreon.com slash trueanonpod. We'll see you there. Jeffrey Epstein.